Blog Talk Radio. Greetings, uh, my fellow listeners. 
Um, now that I'm back from the motherland, you know, I feel rejuvenated and excited about this week's show. Um, Belize, as you all know, is a unique, unique country in many regards. And um, we have bought into the myth that Belize is this poor and destitute uh, nation, when in fact it's not. So, But we'll get into that. Um, I'm Hubert Pipersburg, and um, I'm broadcasting live from Los Angeles, California, and um, I'd like to wish all of you and greet all of you in the name of peace, which is the universal greetings of all the prophets from Adam to Muhammad, and we're still looking for that universal peace that the world can't seem to give. Now, today I'm, I'm going to have uh, with me Will Mejia, which many of you are, he's no stranger to many of you. His brother is a tireless worker who, um, without him, I don't, I, I, I doubt seriously that we will un- we would understand the nature of the kind of uh, cream, I call it Crimea nations of, of, of along the borderline of Belize, where we have this unfettered access by Guatemalan nationals, com- peasant peasant nationals, just infringing on not only our territorial waters but also along the border down south in in, in the Chiquibul and the Columbia rainforest, and the anything goes. I've seen it firsthand. Uh, up up close and personal, so I know what I'm talking about. And Will Mejia is on the he's on the edge, the cutting edge. He's on the forefront. He's he's the first bastion, if you will, in 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 exposing and fighting that fight for us Belizeans who just sit back and don't understand that we are in fact being complicit, even as we watch our country being taken away bit by bit by by the nationalization by Guatemalans, even though the Constitution said that they shouldn't have citizenship, this is what's happening. And men such as Will Mejia, Paco Smith, and others who are trying tirelessly to bring us this information, to educate us on the need to be cognizant, to be aware, to be active in the struggle because we are, our nation has been torn from our grasps, from our grasp day by day. And without individuals such as Wilma here, I cringe to think how we would even get this far. Because we have leaders who have decided that it's better to accommodate, it's better to uh, to just compromise, and it's better to accept. They don't want to fight. They don't. They don't want to put up a struggle. They don't want to um to to shout out and say no. We have ter- we have eight thousand eight hundred square seven square miles and not one square inch. We're not going to compromise anything. Let's start from a position of equality. They'll claim that with standing. The first thing they're going to tell you, oh, what we, uh, doing nothing is not uh, accepting. But yet and still they continue to push this bankrupt policy that suggests that we must accept, we must accommodate, and we must compromise. Look what we do when we compromise. The, com- the so-called compromise. They, they laugh in our face, they thumb their nose in our face and say, we're not going to do this, uh, this referendum that was supposed to go October 6, 2013. Because as far as we're concerned, you know that you know we don't like the, we don't like the playing field, so we want the playing field changed. We want the game changed so that we can come in. So this is the kind of game that the Guatemalan oligarchy plays with us, and we have our leaders. I call them pussyfoot leaders, who are totally intimidated, who are totally uh, being psychologically managed to accept this travesty that Guatemala continues to 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 ride on us. So people like Wilma here is an invaluable ally, an invaluable messenger, an invaluable harbinger, 
of what we need to do and what and how we need to get up off our bus and become active in protecting what's ours. Because pretty soon, if we don't, we'll be on the outside looking in. So um, without any further ado, I want to uh, bring on Wilma here, who is joining me live. Um, brother, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing fine, uh, Hubert. Thanks for having me on today. Uh, it's a pleasure to speak to the people about what's going on in our country and try and wake up some of those that are sleeping who could like rise up and do something to stop the incursions that's taking place along our borderline. Because it's happening as we speak, my brother. As we speak, Guatemalans are coming in by the droves, working in our citrus fields and our plantations, in our construction industry now, and marginalizing jobs that militants could be holding. But not only that, they are also occupying lands that belongs to Belizeans, and Belizeans should be entitled to those lands, you know. Mm-hmm. It's easier today, it's easier for Guatemalan to get a piece of land in Belize than a Belizean to get a piece of land. You know, you know we'll, I, I mean, when we went on the border, you know, we went in the, in the forest, in the rainforest that one time, and we also went along the, um, the source, too, you know, the source. We, we, we did the, the jungle, and we also did the, the sea. And, you know, what struck me was the anything goes open, free for all, and and what was instructive to me is that as soon as we got to the mouth of that river, we were, you know, the, the military, the Guatemala military, you know, hey, what's going on? But yet, still, when we come over on our side, it's like, what is, what is, what, what's causing this mindset, Will? You wouldn't even know that there's uh, the police had a military. Exactly. Um, because there's absolutely no kind of presence there. It's just like here, here you are, take it, you know. Um, so we really, really need to. Um, get active and defend our church. And there's lots of ways we could do this, Hubert. As you know, I have been up and down working in the villages. Um, the people are ready to defend. They just need to go ahead. But if each village, you know, get their own militia and patrol a part of that border, we could keep it intact for less than the price of an SUV, mm-hmm. you know, which these guys just take for granted every year taxpayers' money. So we need to begin to do some, some kind of mechanism in that place like that. And don't give me this crap about, you know, um, we don't have the resources. We have the resources. The resources is there. We just need the political will to do it. When the British was there, we had nothing like this taking place. Absolutely nothing like this was taking place. You know, we have totally... And then, you know, you have the foreign minister who always um, come to the try and push down the people to show that it's some poor, desperate Mayan that's coming across the border. Well, let me set the record straight. I could tell you there's no poor, desperate Mayan coming. These people who are occupying our lands, as you see, Hubert, I took you and Paco there, um, huge pasture, mm. you know, well-fenced. Uh, the they ordinary Mayan guy can't do that. These are real, you know, Spanish guys from Guatemala City who's having their ranches, you know, on Belize's side, and they're expanding into Belize's territory. I mean, you look at the houses on the Guatemalan side, and it, I could tell you it's no ordinary poor Mayan. Yeah, because the village that we went to, um, what's the name of that village right there? Santa Cruz. Yeah, that was, you know, that village, is, you know, you see the, the dilapidated condition of those poor Mayas. So obviously they're not the ones who are, who are infringing on the religion territory. These people are, are you know, poor, working class just like the majority of Belizean, and they yeah. and they happen to stay on their side anyway because they they realize that even if they go over on the Belizean side, they don't have the resources to to even begin to cultivate that you know. But if you remember, recall walking through the village, you see 
you know, the people with the nice houses and stuff yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. So those are the people who are actually hiring those Mayans to go and, you know, they, they, the Mayans are not working for themselves. The one that's clearing the bush, cutting the logs, stealing the shate, they're working for the big guys, you mm-hmm. know, who mm-hmm. goes all the way up to Guatemala City and they're up to the headquarters. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's like a global thing because even the shate that they are extracting from Belize's forest or the rosewood is not ending up in Guatemala. It's going to, you know, find homes in Europe. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like a global thing. And, you know, unless the, the Europeans uh, or the Chinese curb their, curb their appetite for these precious resources coming out of um, Belize's forest, then that will continue. But we, too, Belizeans, if we had the will, we could, like, you know, cut out the middleman, who in this case would be the Guatemalans, and employ a whole lot of Belizeans and make Belize a whole lot better, you know. I mean, it's just a shame to see that we are a country so rich, yet we have so much poverty. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, uh, I think on the late Bert Tucker, who's been buried today, you know, unusually yeah. today, he said that, um, uh, that, you know, it's poverty in paradise. But, you know, one, one of the things that struck me, Will, as when, we went, when we were down there also, the fact that um, the complacency on our side of the border, the almost yeah. matter of fact, you know, don't give a damn, I would say, attitude. And yeah. to me, that's part and parcel of the problem because they don't see the urgency that we see. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, there's many ways in which we could, like, you know, stop this incursion, I mean, we need to take care of ourselves food security-wise. Let's put Belizeans along the border. Uh, let's begin to, you know, Guatemala had already destroyed a lot of these forests. Let's turn them into agricultural production centers and have Belizeans employed. Let's have the University of Belize begin to expand on their That's what we should be teaching in Belize, mm-hmm. how to grow food, how to grow food organically. Mm-hmm. You know, we are a small nation, and we should be able to feed ourselves and also export some of those quality food that we can grow in Belize. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the chocolate that most people eat every day, every day, millions of people eat chocolate. The best chocolate is grown in the Toledo district. The seeds come from there, you know, and yet there's such an abundance of poverty. So it just goes to show that we as a nation are falling down when it's coming to you know, taking care of our resources. Yeah, we, you know, we tend to explore it. But see, what is, what is your vision? You, you know, I, you know, you said something about, uh, what's your vision for? I mean, that you like to see like, along that border, in terms of Belizean participation. And, uh, well, I think that you know, Belizeans they, they um, need to begin to occupy those lands along the borderline. Um, we need to take conservation and saving some of the forest that's left, of course. Um, but the lands that's already cleared and stuff, we could either reforest or we could either use those lands to provide food. Guatemala, at the end of the day, have 13 million people, and trust me, those people will be eating whatever we grow. We grow beans, they'll bite. We grow citrus, they'll bite. We grow coffee, they'll bite. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much that could be done. But we need to get Belizeans involved. You know, a lot we are claiming, like a close to 20% unemployment or 30% in some areas, that we do not need to have such high in, in unemployment if we begin to use those lands along the border. And, you know, I mean, it's not like you'll have to take it to a far place or market. The market is there. 
Yeah, yeah. In another way, you know, I mean, most we need to continue to focus on on education. Um, we're still falling way short when only 50% of our youths or less are even making it to high school. That is ridiculous. We cannot expect to build a nation where we have so many people not even f- finishing high school. Uh, so I, um, there is this program that. Um, you know, I'm a beneficiary of that program that I did when I was in the U.S. But if you serve in the military, we could create that same program. If you serve in the BDF to patrol the borders, you know, the least we could do is give you a UB education, you know. Mm-hmm. Why don't we come up with incentives like that that will get Belizeans more involved in protection of our own country? Yeah. Well, you know, I had on, last week I had on Dr. Bowa, and he was essentially, we were essentially saying some of the same things in the sense that, you know, we have this, we don't have a sense of urgency. When it comes, we continue to import all these processed foods, and like you said, the organic material right there and believe that we can grow, feed ourselves. But we continue to, to buy into the commerciality that we must have processed food, which in, in many regards, as he was saying, is causing a lot of um, illness in Belize, like diabetes. You know, oh, yeah. You know, and... You know, I mean, you you have Belizeans right now that's using so many processed food. We have coconuts all over the place, thousands of acres of coconut, and you still have a lot of housewives that's using coconut milk in a packet, powder processed with lots of cancers, things to keep it um, to, to, to to keep it from spoiling in there, and that's what Belizeans are using in their rice and beans these days when they could be going out planting trees, coconut trees, and using that, that which, which is a lot more healthier than those packs that's coming all the way from Thailand, halfway mm-hmm. around the world, you know. Mm-hmm. With all the preservatives. You know, I, that's, I saw that too. When you go into the supermarkets in Belize, it is when, when you really see, well, all over the country anyway, which is when you really see how insidious this, this, this you know, we, we have all these processed food. For example, I saw like things like pineapple and, 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 and pears and stuff. And I'm saying to myself, why are we buying this stuff from these people encouraging them when this stuff grows naturally and almost wild? In, in, we have the land, you know, some of the most arable land in the world. And still we, we cannot get to the point where we can say, look, like you said, get the university. That's the same thing Dr. Bobo was saying. Get the university of Belize involved in, in manning, in, in spearheading agriculture and spearheading um, the, the, the education of agriculture to our youths. Because you're right, the youths are, in, you know, you know, we, you know, we give them incentive to, to, to want to put... And another thing that we need to do, I mean, right now I know that the Ministry of Agriculture is getting ready to put up a agricultural um, health um, station in, in um, the village of Halate, but they're putting it at the beginning of the village instead of near to the border. Right at the border. I mean, mm-hmm. so we need to, like, you know, ask them to put that stuff closer to the border because then, you know, we're giving in to the Guatemalans. I know that the reason why they're bringing it almost two miles in is to say, okay, well, we don't want to do anything in the adjacent zone. But it is so-called adjacent zone because me, myself, I do not recognize no adjacent zone. We have a border, and that is it. Once yeah. you cross that border, you're in Belize territory. And every customs, every immigration, every checkpoint should begin at the borderline, not two miles into our territory. Yes, I saw that. That was what was uh, very, uh, in, in, you know, very, very, very instructive when I was down there. You know, the 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 the, 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 the custom guy and even the police, they were like miles away from where, you know, at least two or three kilometers from where we were going, you know, yeah. to the border itself. And I, again, I I I agree that the, the, the reason why they're doing this is because they believe that um it's better for them to uh 
you know, to not violate the so-called adjacency zone that the Guatemalans violate every single day without every even thinking about day, it, you know. You know, and not only not only down there in on 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 the mainland, but in the territorial seas as well. Oh yeah, I mean, you cite for yourself firsthand, you know. You know, but one one thing I want to ask you, Will, with the, the Belize territorial, talk a little bit more about the the work of those Maya brothers that goes on patrol. What kind of resources they need? What what is it? Some how can the Belizeans who are listening to this program right now, how can they plug into it and try to assist us in patrolling the borders? Because obviously our military is too busy in locking down George Street or having checkpoints on the road than to actually go in the bush and doing what they're trained to do. What is it? What exactly is the Belize Territorial Volunteers doing to to try to to stem some of these illegal activities along the border? Well, well, as you know, we continue to go to the border as often as we possibly could afford to go to the border. A lot of these areas are far and in remote areas. So Belizeans who are listening or people who are living outside of Belize and have a love for Belize would be good if we could begin to share, you know, show their love for Belize by supporting the Belize Territorial Volunteers because at the end of the day, we are the guys on the ground. Um, I want to really take this opportunity to thank people like um, Raymond Isigeri, Jr., um, Alex, uh, you know, Alex Dillett. Mm-hmm. I mean, those guys consistently come true for us in terms of providing clothing and footwear and, um, you know, that kind of stuff. We have a lot of Belizeans who have said that they will do things but have not really done it, you know, and I don't want to really call them out. I would like to call, just ask them to, look, you know, make good on your pledge because when, I, when you tell me that, don't worry, I'll send you some shirts for the Mayan brothers going with you, in the village, I don't want anything because I am blessed that, you know, fortunately, you know, uh, I, I do well in, you know, surviving. Um, but, you know, when I go to these brothers and I say, don't worry, the guys in the States appreciate what we're doing. They'll be sending some footwear or some clothing. And then I show up there and there's none. Then they begin to take lose respect for me to saying that, look, you know, I continue to make promises like a politician. So if you say, guys, you're going to help us out, do help us out because I take your word for it, and then I go out there and I promise these guys, look, we're going on a patrol and this is what's coming, the support that is coming. Mm-hmm. So really and truly, if, it's, if you're going to, like, deliver, then I think that you should. If you're going to make some promises, then just deliver. And if not, then I won't tell the guys, you know, that we have the support from the U.S. or from the Belizeans in the diaspora. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we need, when we go out there, these guys, they, you know, they give up their time, right? Mm-hmm. But we can't go out there and not eat food. We can't go out there and, you know, not burn fuel. We can't go out there, you know, um, and not tear up some footwear. These are rugged terrains, you know. Mm-hmm. So clothing, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, you, you know, I had made a request, like, for some jungle hammocks, you know. I mean, those will work well. And, you know, so far, people said, oh, yeah, I'll donate the jungle hammock. I'll just do we have not received not one. So, um, you know, that's the thing that I'd like to ask the Belizeans who are listening or anybody who is listening to support this cause. It's a good group. It's a good group of people, people who give up their time freely to go out in there. But like I say, we need the support. We need some support. And, you know, I mean, I know like a lot of people here, I mean, a lot of people in America, a lot of Belizeans in the so-called in the diaspora 
are saying that they love Belize and they want to support Belize, well, let's feel that support. It's not like, you know, I mean, you see the work that we're doing, you feel the work we're doing. If it was not for us, Guatemala would have been two miles inside of um, Belize's territory. We are the ones who stopped them at the border there, borderline there at the um, Container Hill. And like I was telling uh, Hubert in an earlier conversation, that we want to build a structure at Container Hill. So because the government is not doing it, um, so the, the Guatemalans could know that this is Belize they're coming to. And we'd like to get something on the ground by September 21st when we celebrate our Independence Day and have something there to show, you know, this is where our country begins. It's at the borderline. You know, so, again, that's another thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Contribute a few bags of cement, some sand, some gravel, you, you know, help some guys out with the labor, you know, so that we could go over there and put something on the ground. That is for us. It's for Belize. Explain to um, the listeners what you meant by Container Hill, Karim, and uh, go into a little bit more details about that. Yes, Container Hill is a hill that we have named Container Hill because that was when the Guatemalans got brazen and brought their containers over to stockpile on this one hill inside of Belize's territory. And it was us, the Belize Territorial Volunteers, who blew the whistle on that. And thanks to Amandala and Creme Radio, Amandala Newspaper and Creme Radio, and the great Evan X Hyde for, you know, making, um, spreading the news because we could stay there and scream, but we were just a lone voice in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. But when you, people like, you know, um, Amandala and uh, Evan X Hyde and uh, Creme and those guys, begin to say what's happening there, then people begin to take notice. So, it, again, it is a team thing. It is a team effort. And, you know, I want to thank those people who have given, and I also want to encourage those who have not given to begin to give because this is about our country. This is about our cause. This is about saving Belize, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, I mean, the thing about it is, you know, if you look at what what's a typical, what's a typical, okay, they usually use when, leave when Friday morning, Thursday morning. What's a typical patrol like well uh, again it depends you know we have day patrols or we have weekend patrols or we have midweek patrols when we get the call or when we hear what's going on then we will try and mobilize a group and sometimes we ask these guys to give up two or three days of their work um, to go on this and they do because they love this country now we would like to feel the love from the diaspora also to maybe you know offset some of their costs but um, especially when we're going up into the Chicky Bull area or into the deep into the Columbia Forest Reserve, those are those expeditions, the last expedition the guys from San Jose did lasted eight days. Eight you know, days yeah. So inside the forest. Mm -hmm. You got ten guys in there, you know, I mean we need to provide food for them. We need to provide a little. I mean, it's not like in America where you get like a steady income. We they need to leave a little food for their family back home too while they're in there because they're the breadwinners, you know. Mm -hmm. So again, we need to offset some of these costs. Um, and as a result of us doing this work, there are a lot more forests standing. There's we've curbed like about over this for this year alone. We've curbed like at least four or five shark finning operation in the high seas. Um, we've curbed thousands and thousands of report feet of uh, rosewood, mahogany, and cedar that was going to be cut down and exported to Guatemala, to China via Guatemala. So we've, we've done our part, but now, I mean, there's only so long we could go without, um, without the kind of resource that we need to sustain ourselves. But we have to sustain this pressure. And it's a Belizean thing, and it's you guys in America 
are very important part of this. Mm-hmm. Very, very important. But it, there has to be sustained pressure because we got to keep the pressure on. If not, they'll just move in. And I mm-hmm. know that they know that we'll be we're not like really like copy, um they know that our resources are limited, so they are like, you know, keep on pushing and hoping that we lose our momentum. I know that I will not lose my momentum. I've been in this for going on more than 20 years now. From the time I'm a little boy, I've been like on the Guatemala thing, so there's no way that they're going to run me out. But, you know, we need, again, the support to keep the momentum going. We need to sustain the pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things that, you know, that we, that we have is that people don't see the sense of urgency because I talked to well, Christopher Nisbet, who can articulate these positions also. He lives down there in the Columbia Forest, and he's been there for the past 20 years, and they see firsthand every day, because they're there. You are there every day. You see. You, 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 you're meeting with the alcoholics. You, you know, you're going down into the belly of the beast. And so people who, it's only because we, at Park and myself and others, who decide to get out, out of the city and get out of but and go down there in the bush and see exactly what's going on and then high seas. I think more Belizeans, you know, I want you to, to you know, explain to Belizeans that, look, you know, they, 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 we could set up trips, set up excursions where Belizeans can actually go down there and see exactly what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. They, they, oh, yeah. We could do that. You know, uh, we could do that, and we could we have we were trying to come up with this program. And again, who are listening? There are lots of smart Belizeans out there. Everybody plays a role. We need a lot of good writers, people to set up the plans, to execute our plans. I mean, we want to have this adopt a volunteer program where you in the state sponsor a volunteer who goes into the bush, you know, who goes into the jungle. But we need to write that down so we could send it to some of the potential supporters. So is open to all the legions. Let's get on board. This is a team thing. This is not a Will Mejia thing. It's, not, it, it's a Belizean thing. So if you have certain expertise in writing or whatever, then, you know, inbox me on Facebook and let's go from there. Or Paco or Hubert right there. You know, you, these, Hubert, Paco um, are an integral part of this team, mm-hmm. you know, myself. Um, but there's so much that we could, like, do. And with the thousands of Belizeans living out there, hey, sponsor a volunteer, you know. And, you, you know, I mean... It doesn't take a lot. Volunteer. And I think yeah. that one of the things that, um, you know, that, 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 that we need to do is the fact that, you know, like when we were, for example, when we went down, when we went down to, to, uh, to right there in Halakte, a little impoverished village right at the border there. And it, it was interesting to see how these people, they really don't have any protection because there's nobody really there. I don't see any, 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 there was no, like, any official Oh, yeah, present. No, you know, and as a result of that, the alcoholics are getting very afraid because, like, when we go there, you know, the Guatemalan military knows that we are there, the Guatemalan military sees us, we have come face-to-face with them. Mm-hmm. But what happens is that when we leave from there, the military, the Guatemalan military, then come into the villages and try and harass the alcoholics, saying, look, that they are blaming them for allowing us to come into those areas and highlight the situation. So, I mean, to, to a certain extent, even the alcoholics are being directly affected by the Guatemalans. Yeah. You know, well, you know what I find, well, again, what I, what, I, what I saw, the fact that whenever we get to the, this was supposed to be, and this was instructive to me when we went down to the fast area, even though we were in open water, supposedly open water, 
you know, they, the Guatemalans are behaving as if though they own the whole border right there with the territory. Oh, yes, man. Yes, yes. They, they, wait, wait. A lot of times I've had similar encounters with them. When I would approach them and tell them that this is Belize's territory, and not only that they're in Belize's territory, they're using destructive means of um, extracting the resources. Mm-hmm. For example, the gillnets that is destroying everything. They want to like get mad with me. They want to fight with me in my own territory. Indeed. It's like you coming into my house and instead of using a can opener to open up, you know, uh, or you, to open up a can of vegetable or something like that, you start breaking it open. You know, it's destructive, and that's the way mm-hmm. these guys are doing things. And then they get mad when you correct them, you know, you and know, they're inside your territory. And I saw, speaking of those gillnets, I saw hundreds and hundreds of gillnets lying all over it. Not to mention, the, you, you realize the kind of environmental impact that it's having right there in, 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 in that Bay of Amatique, right there, with all those Guatemalan fishermen who are unfettered, come and, come and go, boat after boat, just keep going, casting those illegal nets, some of them up to 50 to 100 feet long. I've shuddered to think. The, the 100 kind of, feet, no, the average one is around 300 feet. There you go, see. So yeah. I shuddered to think. And then if you have 100 of them at 300 feet, you know, you, you, you do the math and you'll see how much gillnet is ruining our waters. Yeah. And you know, in the state of Florida, they ban, they ban the gillnet, um, gillnetting, and as a result, they have increased their catch by 200%. The economic benefits are coming in by the hundreds of millions of dollars, and we could do the same in Belize. Why are we not doing that? Mm-hmm. But the thing about it, too, Will, that was interesting, they are not allowed to cast these gill nets on the Guatemalan side. You what know, the so, do you realize that? that? Remember, we saw it right there. They're not allowed to cast the gill nets on the Guatemalan side right there by the Farstoon River. They, so hence, they come over on our side because there's nobody here to stop them. Or to tell them they can't do it. So all the goodness that I saw was right on our side, and nothing on the other side of where, you know where 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 the, the territorial waters meet right there. So that to me was something that was very alarming and very 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 uh, to me very 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 silly of Belize authorities to just give up the idea that they can't police those things down there because they don't have the resources. But they still they have the resources to give BDF M16. And I saw this on Rocky Road by the Canal side or Charles Street. You know, it, it doesn't make no sense for, and I spoke to some of these believe, when I was there, well, I spoke to the soldiers, and I asked them, I said, brother, what are you, how do you guys feel, um, you know, patrolling these streets in the industry of Belize? And they said, they don't like it. They said, but that's the orders they get from up top, and they have, you know, they have Yeah, a lot of these guys, they join the military to patrol the border, mm-hmm. not to patrol Belize city streets, you know. Yeah. But it's not in the interest of the government of Belize to put people along the borderline. It's just ridiculous how they continue to. And I didn't want to, like, I took some pictures of them, but I didn't want to, like, expose them or to, you know, so I try to make it obscure. I don't want, like, to put them on blast, that, that you know, because I know it's not. Yeah, because it's not the BDF itself. It's not the guys on the street. It's not even the officers. It's the guys at the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, you know, and, and so, but to, when I when I spoke with them, they were like, they would much rather be doing what they're trained for. Because I'm like, you have an M16 here, you know, in, on, on the on the streets of a city that you, you know, of a country that you that you you love, and you have to be guarding it with M16 because you know we our government doesn't have uh, have policies that are bankrupt. To solve the, the social ills that that, that 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 this country is faced with, so you you seek your military, you know, a group that's trained to kill at the youth. To me, that that says volumes of the kind of uh, mentality 
that we have in Belize that don't care about the youth. You know, the average life expectancy for Belize is like 72 years old. For youths, Will, is less than 25. Yep. You know, and so the BDF, a lot of those, those the, the rank and file, the, uh, the, the, the ones on the street, they're not happy with doing what they're doing. I can tell you that. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I see the guys all the time, you know, um, in town when I meet them, you know, they know what's going on. And again, a lot of them are just sitting at the base and they could be out on patrol. They could be out there. And we, we continue to get a lot of resources from the U.S. government, lots of boats, lots of, you know, we, we over the past year we got probably close to a million dollars worth of boats. But those boats never go down. I mean, it's rare when they go down south of Punta Gorda Town, mm-hmm. where all the incursions are taking place. Only oh. those boats go as far as Barranco. They probably don't go to, they probably stay they don't even go to Barranco because mm-hmm. every night you could wake up, you, you, the people of Barranco could tell you for themselves that they see Guatemalan boats in front of their village every night. Mm-hmm. And they have the nerve to be fishing and taking it to our fishing and taking fish to sell to our fish corporation. That's the thing in Potencia and those places. Um, that's the part that's really interesting. They go to Malay fishermen, fish in our water, then come back and sell it to the, the corporatives down there in Placentia and those places. Right? Yeah, I, well, I mean, yeah, you you go down to the PG market now, and there's hardly any um, Punta Gorda fishermen selling fish there. It's all Guatemalans. And the thing is, they don't even live in Belize either. They go and come every day. Yeah, they, they rub it in your face. Yeah, it, 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 it's kind of sad, man, that this, 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 this is allowed to happen. But, you know, speaking of that, too, you know, the part, another thing that I wanted to touch on, because you were, you know, you were at that protest, was it yesterday, right? Because told me, no, Thursday. When were you there? Thursday? Was it Thursday? Yeah, Thursday. Yeah, I had called you, but, you know, I, I, I guess yeah. you were too busy. I was to, probably in the, yeah, yeah the right. I called yeah, you when I was there's no, that morning. Yeah, it's yeah. way back there, so there's no service, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because, um, but talk to us about that, because, what was that all about? What, what was the underlying team behind the protest there? Well, the thing is, as you know, that the court had ruled that the land belonged to the indigenous people, or in my opinion, the land belonged to the Belizeans. And it was wrong for um, the, the court to give the go-ahead to, to put up a drilling platform or to instruct for drilling inside of the national park without consulting the people of Belize. And that was what basically it was all about. So they're saying if this is our land, the court had said this is our land, then we're entitled to go to our land. So they were they had organized that they only were there to go to check the platform. When they got there, they were met by by the Belize police force and the folks from the oil company and um, apparently some BDF as well because they had military uniform on. Um, and they prevented them from going onto the um Capital, U.S. capital compound um, and to try and go to the drill site. Well, after a few minutes of back and forth, back and forth, Greg Chuck had arrived and Greg Chuck um, kind of like rallied the crowd up and says, no, we don't have to ask permission to go on our land. It's our land. Why do we have to get permission mm-hmm. from a foreign-based oil company to go on our land? So he kind of rallied the crowd and, of course, the crowd broke through the barrier and the crowd outnumbered the amount of police that was there, so they kind of gave in, and then um, they walked along the road for a bit, and um, the sun was really hot, and it was like seven miles in, so after a while... Oh, they, didn't, they, they didn't allow any vehicles in, right? I mean, No, no, they didn't allow any vehicles but in. See, that's what but they didn't allow anybody in either. The people just broke through. They didn't allow anybody in. 
So, so but, Chuck was right. I mean, why are you asking permission to go on your own land? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But after they got in for a bit, then they, um, I, I guess, you know, there were women and children, small babies, months old on this trek. You know, when the Maya people move, you have to hand it to them. It's not like the rest of the country. They move with families. So they brought out their kids, they brought out their wives, the whole husbands, the whole community came mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. So I believe that the oil company must have felt some kind of compassion. I don't know if they have that, but um, they felt some kind of um, compassion. And when they realized that the kids were out there in the sun and it was probably close to 95 degrees, then they sent the bus in to carry the people. Oh, so after, after, after that. After, case. yeah. Mm-hmm. So what happened when you guys get cut to the uh, actual drilling site? What, 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 what did you see? Well, the oil company only took the people in the bus to the site and drove back. We've been there before. Mm-hmm. So what's there is just like a platform that's ready to, for a drill to come in and begin drilling. Exactly. And let me tell you and tell the people here today that's listening that there is oil and lots of it there. There are some spots when, you were, when you're walking down that road that when you look into the water, you see the blackness of it. You could tell that oil is there. You know, you don't need to be a, an oil expert to be looking at it. You could see like oil is just popping out the ground there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in fact, the people of the villages knew this for decades because when I was a little boy, and I'm pretty old now, um, I could remember my friends from Cricket Circle and stuff. That's how they used to report, repair their dugouts, their dory. They take the aisle, they take oil coming out of the ground, and stick it between the cracks and stuff like that to stop the water from coming in. Mm-hmm. So th- this is something that's been there for a while. You know, it's just now that they're coming in and you know trying to be smart about it. Well, you know, trying to act like they're smart about it because they're not doing it the right way, in my opinion. Because you know, a river that people de- depend on. Oil platform should not be so close to the river. So you, you think know. the environmental impact is going to be irreparable? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, again, like I say, look, I drive a car or a truck and we need oil, and we're not against extracting the oil, it's how they're going about doing it, and what are the benefits going to be for the people. I mean, if you look at the oil that came out of... Um, out B&E. of um, Spanish lookout, B and E is over two billion dollars, I believe, so far. Mm-hmm. Billions with a B, and yet the Hummingbird Highway is one of the worst. And that's this is exactly the highway that they transported the two billion dollars worth of oil over mm-hmm. to be shipped out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they didn't use the, another highway; they used the, the Hummingbird Highway. highway. Mm-hmm. The hummingbird so they highway. destroyed the Hummingbird Highway, got their two billion dollars, and how have you, as a Belizean, benefited from that? Yeah. Sure, they put some paint on some schools and things like that, but how has the average Belizean said, look, you know, this is what the oil company has done for me. This is what my Belizean oil has done for me. Have you, you or anyone else felt that feeling? Yeah. No, there's a privileged few that has felt that feeling. Yeah, could you imagine over $2 billion and, you know, yet still the cost of fuel in Belize is $13 or no? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we have oil. This is the kind of thing that makes, brother. I, I, you know, it makes you upset because it's like here you are, you know, you we're are an oil exporting nation. No, no, no. It gets even worse than that. Will. We are supposed to be this poor, destitute nation, but until we can export two billion dollars in resources, it, it's kind of like a paradox to 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 to, to suggest that we are a poor nation, but until we can export over two billion dollars worth of uh, fossil fuel with un- nothing to show for it. Nothing to show for it in Belize. Yet poverty in, in the Maya communities, and you know, if they, this oil is extracted right, that area, should, Toledo, should become one of the richest areas in, in, in the country. 
Yep, we should be, yeah, exactly. Yet, the South continues, study after study, has continued to show that the South is the poorest of them all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so, I mean, like, again, I think I want people to understand because people get it construed that, oh, they want to stop development, they want to stop the oil. No, we do not want to stop the oil. No, we do not want to stop development. What we want is for fair, sustainable development where the people of Belize benefit. So, you know, there's lots of people saying, look at them, they want to stop development. It's not stopping development. It's about making development right for generations to come. Why can't we be like Norway, you know? Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard the people of Norway complaining about them drilling? No, because they're doing it the right way. Why can't we use that model? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we'd have to the wheel, certainly. But, see, let me ask you, you know, in terms of, um, you know, this, I, okay, you, you, you all were for Dr. Palacio and then from Barranco Village and some, some of the Mayas who are kind of, um, they're upset. Well, I don't want I, I use the word upset, but they are not happy with um, Satim um, and the way Greg Chuck is going about with Satim. And, and, and you know, they, they're arguing that, oh, well, U.S. capital is like their friend. They're seeing, they're seeing, could you imagine this? They're seeing U.S. capital as a friend. Uh, Will, what is that all about? Man, again, it's who's saying, you know, I mean... You come. You can't say that. Look, U.S. capital is your friend because they come and pick up the garbage from your community. I mean, come on. As a community leader, as a community person, you should be the first one to make sure that your community is clean. You shouldn't want to have an oil company to come and pick up your garbage. Then it's okay for them to drill. That's ridiculous. And they cannot say that Satim has not done or Greg has not done nothing for the people of the South or for the people of those communities because from the time Satim started, um, indigenous people, Garifuna people has been on their board. I don't think there has ever been a time in Satim's history when there was not a Garifuna represented on the board. Mm-hmm. So I think for like people to say that Garifuna people are not included in the decision-making, then it's ridiculous. Then I think that it's the people who are on the board, then um, the person sitting on the board has failed, not the, not Satim itself or you know anything like that, because Satim, in my opinion, has never been without Garifuna people on the board. Mm-hmm. So, so, so but, I, but I think what, what Dr. Palacios was saying, they, he said that, but I think what I'm trying to get from him is that that he feels that Greg Chuck has excluded them, and I. But if they're, if they well, what has what 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 has led him to um, feel that way? I don't understand that because Satim have Garifuna representation on the board. Mm-hmm. Then those people who those Garifuna people sitting on the board then need to report to Doctor uh, Palacio, and he is the chairman of the village of Barranco. Mm-hmm. So automatically he plays a role there. Yeah, yeah, he. You yeah. know, so he. I, I don't understand why he would say that. I know that just like the other villagers, they had like said they have signed more than seventy-five percent of them have signed petitions to say, look, you know, you need a leader to take your case, and they've appointed Greg. Mm-hmm. And I think um, Barranco could do the same. The villagers of Barranco could say they either want Greg or Dr. Palacio or whoever else they want to represent them with the oil company's case. But none of them have done that. You can't say because you have not moved to action to do things that you're being excluded. You have to be proactive. Mm-hmm. You I mean, know, what do you think? You know? How do you see it? 
Yeah, I, I totally agree with you because I think that, you know, that what they're trying to do is put a split between the Maya and the Garifuna and make it seem as though they're well, a Satim, Like I said, Satim has never been in existence without a Garifuna, without Garifuna representation in the board. I've always had Garifuna representation in the board. So I, I really do not understand. Um, you know, and again, when they said, let me tell you something, Hubert, it, I'm not like trying to blow my own horn here, but it was me. Will Mejia, who went to Barranco two Christmases ago, two December ago, and the oil company had totally destroyed all the streets leading to the wharf in Barranco because that was how they were bringing in their people and they were really building this platform and doing the seismographic work inside Sarsun Timash National Park. They had their big trucks going in and out and totally destroyed all the nice grass streets in Barranco. In fact, I have pictures. Maybe if you could go down to my Facebook page from two Decembers ago mm-hmm. and you'll see where women had to use rubber boots to go to, to church when that had never happened in the history of Barranco before. And it was me who came back and used social media to blast them. And as a result of that, that's what pushed the old company to come and fix the street. It wasn't that the old company came in to fix the street on their own free will. It was after I had blasted them mm-hmm. that they came in. We didn't hear anything up until this day. You have not heard a word from the Barranco um, uh, village council um, criticizing the oil company for destroying their grass, green grass streets that they had before. You know, I mean, you know, you see that. So they actually, uh, you know, um, this is the thing that really gets me uh, that they they actually shield, they they they, they love the oppressor and hate the oppressed. They actually believe that the oil, this oil company has benevolent, uh, has a has you know their their actions will be benign and they have this benevolence towards them. But if they only read the history, look at what I know you're aware of this will <clears throat> that um, Royal the Royal Dutch Oil Company Shell down in in Nigeria the River Delta there. What the whole oh, yeah. Yeah, you know? yeah, the amount of black Africans right now, the amount of Africans then that's being punished today because of the Dutch oil. I mean, come on. It's ridiculous, and it's the same thing that's going to happen to Belize if we continue to allow ourselves to be manipulated by the few dollars they're throwing around. Let me tell you something. They talk about oil company coming in and picking up the garbage. You see, again, go to my social media network to Facebook, and you'll see where I have an oil company truck illegally dumping garbage on the side of the road. So the very garbage they pick up from Barranco they go upstream along the coast and dump it along, illegally dump it on the side of the road, and then the floods bring it right back into the village. Mm. Come on, it's a circle, and then this is what the people need to be talking about. You know? You know, the you, thing about it is that... You, you can track it right there. It says a big sign on the side of the truck says, U.S. Capital, illegally dumping. And so they, they don't even take it to the to the to the sanction dump dump site for yeah trash, you yeah know? and if, like you said the village don't need you that's something that if you if you are I mean you, civic pride should keep get you to keep your village clean yeah, civic indeed. pride let's have some civic pride people you don't need no outside force to come and clean the village exactly you, should, you know that that should, that should be a given that your village will be clean and that's something you should get together as a group to get that done but the thing that what, what I what I what I find interesting is that the the argument that's been made against, and the Mayas and the Garfinas too, because see, they, yet and still they want them to be at odds, but what is being done to them, because you said 
It's not only there, because I saw a picture on Facebook where they were saying that even some some house where they showed that all just sweeping, sweeping through the ground. So they, they, hold, they don't south, man, in general. But the, 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 the Temash Reserve in particular, I tell you, we'll, we, we're talking about maybe billions and billions of barrels of oil down there. I'm telling you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If Spanish Lakota could have produced over $2 billion mm-hmm. dollars worth of oil, what do you think? What's going to happen down there? Remember when we were out there in the... Out there in the, uh, the in going when we passed Barranco, when we we could see the reserve from the, yeah. from the Caribbean Sea, even the sea itself, I was told that that area is rich in oil as well. Oh yes, yes. Why you think that? You know why? If you go back into history, why you think that Philip Goldson, the late great Philip Goldson, had broke away from the um, UDP and started their zone um, in ABR because the UDP had promised that. You know, they would take back the Maritime Areas Act and give us back our sea, but they, as a result, have given it to Guatemala. Mm-hmm. All that seabed they have given to Guatemala. We, as Belizeans, need to make a push to get that back. That is our sea. Mm-hmm. You know? Indeed. And again, Belizeans need to get up off their butt and begin to be advocates for our resources. Well, see the thing about it, we'll Our resources. Indeed. And what, we're not, what people are not saying, because when, okay, when we went out in your boat from that area, when you could look at it from the Caribbean Sea, mm-hmm. to be that little inlet right there, that little bay right there, when you could see the reserve from there, mm-hmm. then you begin to understand the, the nature of what U.S. capital, that multi, the, the, you could understand what, they, what they're trying to do, because they're only starting on the mainland. They haven't begun to tap into what's going on out in the sea right there. You know, because you know, the, the whole thing will that this oil business in Belize is so sad because here's an opportunity for, to, to really uplift this country to the point where, you know, we could end poverty in Belize yesterday. You know, yep, every, yep. You know we could yep, have definitely. good schools, good roads, yeah. good, the best infrastructure. Definitely. We don't have to borrow no money but from But let's outside. get back to the Belizeans because I would, uh, since this is an online program, I would believe that... Um, our biggest audience here would be Belizeans in the diaspora. Would I be correct in yes, saying that? Yes, you are. You're right. So yeah. we need to get the Belizeans in the diaspora. So let's get back to where we started here earlier on Container Hill. And I'm inviting all of them to contribute right now to, to the building. We want to build a center at Container Hill at the borderline. It's our land, and we're going to do that. And for this September 21st, we want to make sure that we have a structure in place. And I want the Belizeans in the diaspora to play an active role in this so that we could let the world know that we do have a border. So we need to champion this cause. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, you know I, I have respect for Dr. Palacio and them, you know, but maybe it could be a situation whereby um, I know I'm not going to question their motive, Will, you know, because, I mean, I'm sure he's a sincere and good gentleman, but to me, I don't. I'm not. I, I'm not happy with the move that I see him and those other fringe outside my head. Have you tried to? Have you tried to get him on your show? I will try. That I will definitely try. And to you know, I mean, I think it's important for you as the host as well, which I'm sure that you'll do that to do your research to find out the amount of, you know, the the the, the amount of things that Satim has basically done for the area, mm-hmm. um, the employment, the amount of money that was spent in the area, but even more so. Um, the fact that Satim board, from the time I have known it, uh, from the time its existence, have always had um, Garfuna representation on the board. So um, talking about being excluded, then I don't really understand that. Yeah, you know where exactly is the you know the the, the Tenash um, 
Where exactly in the in the down south is the Temash National Park where the where where um, US Capital is drilling oil? Well you remember when we um, went um on the boat, as soon as you pass Barranco Pier, basically you're into the Sarsu Temash National Park. Yes, we, yeah, we saw that huge area from and there. And then um within like let's say less than two miles I would say from the Barranco Pier is the Timash River and then mm-hmm. you just go up the river for a couple of miles and then you see, okay, yeah, we saw the Timash River come out to, yeah. into the Caribbean Sea right there, okay. That yeah. that outlet right there. So that river should take yeah. you straight up to where where um was how do you uh, is there a road access there or just by sea? No, there's a road access, yes. You could go by sea, and there's also road access. Because I know, remember we had discussed this too, that there was only, there was no, the only road access there was to Barranco. Because once, once you pass Barranco, and pass, actually once you pass Barranco, and then after you pass the Timash River there, I mean, that's just wild territory. <laughs> yeah, well, actually the road only goes to Barranco, but on the other side, um, the, 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 there's another road that goes to Sunderwood and Conejo, and um, those Mayan villages up to Crickesarco. Mm-hmm. And it's right, and that road going to Cricket Circle is where the um, um, oil company have their road that goes to the platform because it's a well-built road, and that's why you know nobody would be building these kinds of roads if they wasn't sure that the oil. Yeah, would they, wouldn't, they wouldn't. They wouldn't. I, I, would drive, road, I, mean, I, can, I can drive 70 miles an hour on the road easy. Yeah. It's the best-built road that's not paved in the country right now as we speak. Mm-hmm. There's no other roads that has built that has built as well as that. Yeah. Um, all that road really need right now is some tar on the tar. And it will be good. But the thing, and that's it. Look, they already know. Look, they, they, they already done their seismic studies. They already done all the research. They know how much oil is down there. And, and I, I think I had saw a study at one point that they're saying that, 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 is, that there's quite a bit of down there. Most, it makes Spanish look, look like, like one Lee, uh, you know, only only seep in in the, in the water to come out because oh, yeah. the amount of oil is supposedly in the that Temash reserve, and that's the reason why the oil company continues to disregard the judges thing and continues to dig, and the government is talking with them because and okay, what about the percentage that they're talking about? They're giving the government what is it, ten percent? I mean, it's a joke. Five percent, you know? Come on, that's ridiculous. Five percent of just imagine Bill, five percent of the two a billion dollars. That's what that's what the government I believe is supposedly getting. While the oil company gets you know, and they, and their shareholders get reaps billions of dollars. You know, it's a it's it's a slap in our face. And the thing that gets me will is why is it that we couldn't approach Venezuela and say, Hey, let's won't you guys teach us believe local billions to to, to, to uh to, to, because to, of the P U D P it's a P U P and U D P thing. You know, they want their cake and eat it too. So we could use the Venezuelan model. Yes, of course, let's use that. But on the one hand, you know, they're taking things from Venezuela, and on the other hand, they're taking things from the, you know, U.S. capital company who has complete different modus operandi. You know? Mm-hmm. So, again, it's like, you know... No, well, what I'm thinking really is that... what we think, I'm thinking, deal. If we could, huh? If we could just make it local, localize the production where we have our own refiners and everything, and you know which hundreds of billions will get jobs, and then start with local consumption, which would lower the price of uh, um, doing business, and lower the price, the transaction cost of doing business, lower the price of Look, oil. Look, they don't want that. They do not want that. The PUDP, the, 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 the criminals running these political parties in Belize, do not want that. Don't you see, Hubert, after 30 years under the PUDP administration, PUP and UDP administration, less than 50% of our youths 
are even finishing high school. They don't want us educated. What they want is to keep the people poor so that on election days and, and exactly what happened on Thursday at the oil company, they could come and buy off the people with a few dollars and say, stay home, don't come out to show your um, and protest. And that's exactly what's happening. Yeah, it's a very sad commentary on us that that, that you know that this is occurring. The fact that you know this country is rich in resources and yet they continue to cry about lack resources. We have enough money to 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 build a million paved streets in that country coming out of these oil wells now, and you know yet we have nothing to show for it. And that's what that's what really really gets me about it. When you have people like yourself, you know who who goes in there day in and day out to try to expose. What's happening down there in that that reserve and in the rainforest of Chiquibul and and Columbia River rainforest and you know it's a sign that, that, that you know I I hope that you know after being on this show today that um, we get some feedback from the Belizeans in the diaspora that we begin to feel their passion for Belize that we begin to feel the commitment they have to Belize by supporting the BTV. And I say, it doesn't have to be through me. They could go through yourself, who have shown tremendous support for the BTV and has acted as part of the BTV. And Paco Smith, again, another person. And I can't thank those people enough, like Alex and Raymond and the others, who have consistently given their support to um, the BTV to make sure that it happens in mm-hmm. terms of um, resources. I mean, you know, Will, I know, I know you're pressed for time, and the hour is upon us. Yeah. I know you had promised me an hour, and I know you have other things that you have to do, but um, is there any final comment you want to leave, leave our listeners with? Well, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to be on your show. Um, uh, I want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to share with, you know, Belizeans in the diaspora um, what is happening in Belize, and rest assured that we're not giving up. We're going to defend the territory. We want to make sure that the oil benefits all Belizeans and don't just give Belizeans the crumbs. We are not against development. We're not against extracting rosewood. We're not against extracting oil. We're not against any of those things. What we are against is the way it is being done in an unsustainable way, in a crazy and nonsensical way where Belizeans are not benefiting. That's why we are opposed to what's taking place in our jewel today. Mm-hmm. I want to thank the Belizean people for tuning in, to other people for tuning in. Thank you, Hubert, for giving us the opportunity to be able to tell the world what's going on. And at the same time, you know, Krem and Amandala for their, you know, continuous support for, you know, having us all the time, you know, when we send them news articles and send them reports that they put it on the air. And the folks and the guys who are on the ground at PGTV2 definitely want to, you know, without them going out there themselves with their cameras and bringing the pictures back to the world, um, I want to thank them too for doing that. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, Will, you know, I mean, I want to thank you, bro. I know you're a busy man, so thank you for sharing it, spending this hour with us and giving okay, us a popular thank you with you, brother. You take yeah. care, man. Okay, great. Okay, Have a great day, everyone. Bye. Core well, we gonna we're gonna take a break and you know we'll come back at the bottom of the hour and uh, yeah we're gonna take a break.
Okay, that's what they tell us in the, in his you know you know here's the old African there's an old African proverb that says uh, until the lions have their own historians history of the hunter always glorify the hunter and me personally I have tried to tell the story with with the lions in mind I've always tried to be on the side of the working class majorities who who are the ones who endure the oppression and exploitation and survive and pass it on to the children you know I have. I've, I've, I've always tried to say that whatever glory belongs to the working class majority, because they're the real ones who build this country on their backs. And you know the Mayas, the, you know the, the Mayas history did not. You could talk about caste wars and all that kind of stuff. Mayas were the 200 years BC. So no one can tell me, you know, with, with a straight face to come with a Eurocentric argument about oh the caste war they just come down the Mayas just got there. Maya history did not begin when they made contact with Europeans in the 16th century. What kind of ludicrous, idiotic argument is that? And if that, if that was the case, Abdullah Conte would not have ruled in favor of the Mayas as the ancestral land. So no one can come to me and argue that Eurocentric position about the Maya history begin that oh the, the Maya were not indigenous to Belize. When there's ample evidence, there's overwhelming evidence that the Mayas have been in that region. In Mexico and in in, in in southern Mexico and parts of Guatemala, before BC, hundreds of years before Europeans, before Christopher Columbus came in 1492, when he was found on the Nina de Pinta de Santa Maria, when he thought he was in, in India. So you know we need to stop this foolishness and stop buying into the argument that you know that they want us to believe because we are hating the we're hating the oppressed and loving the oppressor. We get into this argument of oh the Mayas, you know, you know, balkanization. It's not balkanization. They want us to be, believe it's balkanization because they're trying to tell us that the Mayas doesn't have any rights to what they're doing down there, which is the most insidious and ludicrous idea that I've ever heard in my life. So don't buy into that argument, please, people. Um, another thing that you know we you know, I like to talk about is you know I don't like to romanticize about the past or even the present. But as Belizeans, we need to come to terms with, with our history, warts and all. Oh, we need to understand how our history has been interpreted and why. And if that involves a painful process of examining and shedding some cherished myths, so be it. That's the reality. The fact of the matter, but we need to stop this foolishness that's saying as if though our history started, or the history of the Maya started when they came in contact with Europeans around the 16th century, because it did not. Because if you buy into the argument, then that means you, you're siding with U.S. capital oil and what they believe. That's what you're saying. You, 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 you're adopting a Eurocentric view that it's okay to, uh, to, to, you know, to exploit the Mayas because they, they're not indigenous to the area, they're not indigenous to Belize. They're a bunch of, bunch of bullcrap. If that was the case, they wouldn't have won that landmark case in the first place. Okay, and, and Abdullah Conte, Chief Justice Abdullah Conte, used the Aborigines as a precedent in, in Australia to make his argument. How can you tell the Mayas that, they, that they're not just to Belize when, when there's ample evidence to support that they are? How do you explain San Antonich, Caracol, Altunha, Lemanai, and many, many other uh, indigenous sites all over that country? How do you explain those? If Greg Chuck and his ancestors and were indigenous to Belize, this, this, you know, we need to stop the buy into that stupid argument advanced by you, by the Europeans to to keep us, you know, divide, you know, and, and the British, you know, the British, you know, the British have a, you know, they have a way of, you know, doing this, and it's not our fault because, well, 
I'm saying it's not our fault, but in a way, the British have this way. You know, they they have this thing about them where um, they this high degree of power of acquiring the sympathy and conf- the confidence of primitive races, which they are brought into contact in. You know, they consider the races primitive, and you know what they do is you know once they come into contact with them, yeah, I mean colonizers, they're colonizers. Well, they come to you like though they're benevolent, and they love to you know they they want to be loved. And so, in, and like Belize, like any other colony, the British created enough Anglophiles to make them believe, perhaps, that their empire was in truth a benign civilizing force. So, I mean, this is the, the, the most abhorrent of their colonizers. I can only speak for the British because they're the ones that colonized Belize, but yeah, they made you, came in there and believed that they were, oh, they're on your side, they're doing what's right for you, they have a good interest at heart. And when you look back in history, one can argue and say, that's a very suspect uh, theory right there. Based on the condition that that country is in right now, uh, I'm talking about logistically and, and infrastructure-wise, and even socially, politically. And, um, but then, of course, you know, we talk about neocolonialism, the internal colonialism. Uh, what does it mean, right? That you know, here we are. We t- we say all kinds of things about the Maya, but yet and still, the Mayas are not primitive to believe. They're not. I'm sorry, they're not indigenous to believe. They're, that's the argument I hear. You know, that's the same argument that the, the U.S. capital is making, and the government of Belize is signing with them. Oh, the Mayas didn't come here until the caste war, didn't what, whatever. But yet and still, they want to make big tourist books off the Mundo Maya, but never thought to invite the Mayas to have their say in it. <laughs> Imagine that. We take a visit when somebody comes from out of the Queen or whoever it is that, you know, some visiting dignitary, quick to take them to the ruins. Let's go see your ruins. Let's go see the Maya uh, artifacts, the Maya archives in the country. We quick to take in there to show it off. But don't give a thought to take visiting, but don't give a thought to how we continue to ruin the lives of the Maya. Do you not think that the Maya might have that often as they saw when they saw a European approaching? And I think even every religion should have been saying this. Is that a dagger or a crucifix? I see you hold title in your hand. Might not many Belizeans have voiced the same question through the years? Because, that, like um, um, Joe Kenyatta says, when we, you know, they taught us how to pray with our eyes closed. When we open, you know, when we open, the, when we open our eyes, they had the land and we had the cross. So, you know, it, it's a it's a very very sick thing that's happening down there when the way they're trying to divide the Mayas against the Garifunas and against Belizeans in general and trying to make it seem like though the Mayas don't have a right to what they're doing or they're trying to exploit Belize and Belizean, which is wrong. Because like I, I'll say it now and i say it a million times, Mayan history did not begin, did not commence when they made contact with the Europeans. Of course, well, like I said, when the lions tell the history, I mean, when the, when the lions start to tell their history, then the hunters will always glorify the process and make it seem like though, you know, you, it's because the lions are not telling their history. So we need to get away from that foolishness about thinking that the Mayas you know, only started their civilization or their existence in Central America, that part of Central America called Belize, when they made contact with the Europeans. And the thing about it, too, we have a lot of nationals, Belizean nationals. Whether they meant well or not, I'm not going to question their... their um, I'm not going to question their patriotism. But they use the Maya in staking out their claim for for nationhood as as you know against the colonizing power. They did, for example, they made poems. Maya land, you know, were made. The the very architecture of the dead Maya was used to fashion the National Assembly, but the living Maya have not been allowed to be architects in the fashioning of the nation. 
You go to Capitol Hill and see how, you know, what they use. And, and you know, they, they use the word Maya so loosely and proud to say Maya heritage, but yet still in the same breath, they want to stop the Maya in the back and say they don't deserve, they don't, they don't have a say in what's happening in the Timash National Reserve because they don't have, that's not their ancestral lands. You know, the Mayas of, of a, as a people have been effectively excluded from having a deciding voice in construction building society. Let's be clear on that. And so I am not going to be one of those voices who fall into the trap of believing that, oh, that the Garifun and the Mayas are fighting with each other at each other's throat because, well, you know, because they don't understand what's happening. I am sure that the history of these people did not begin after, you know, coincidentally when they made contact with Europeans. And that's, that's one of the things that we need to stop believing that religious history was only, um, uh, you know, because the Caribbean indigenous too. Not only not only the Mayas, and so, but we need to stop this foolishness that these people's history began after they made contact with the Europeans. They did not. And as long as we continue to buy into that argument, we will continue to look at this struggle peripherally as opposed to looking at it holistically and the way we need to be looking at it. You know, because the Mayas and... They didn't come there by accident, or they had because they were war in Chiapas or, or, or so in, in, in southern Mexico. Look, the Mayans were resisting for a long time too. Guatemala just fought, signed a peace treaty, peace treaty with the with the various um, guerrilla movements, the real various guerrilla insurgency movements in 1995, and until 17 years or 17 to 20 years after that, it's still it's still trying to struggle. To to, uh, to become a society, you know, where people have equal rights. So don't come and tell me anything about the Mayas, you know, being, you know, not indigenous to the era, the Garfunas for that matter, not indigenous to the era. They think that's a myth, and we need to stay away from that myth, and I'm not going to get caught up in that myth at all. I'm not going to get caught up, you know, um, in the idea that, um, that, that, you know, that these people have no say, you know. I mean, look, I realize that there are a lot of people who might disagree, but the fact of the matter is, we need to start looking at our history for what it is and find out who we are as a people and where we came from as a people. Because the fact that we're saying that, um, that you know, that belief history started after European contact is wrong. And that doesn't mean that makes you less believing because you acknowledge the fact that maybe um, Spanish and Mayas were there way before the British came. But, you know, I notice whenever the British tells the story, the history of Belize, they always want to tell the history of Belize as if though it started when they came around. And look, that's all well and good, but I'm not saying that. To, that I'm not saying that to say that we, we should take away any, from any Belizean nationality or take away from what Belize is as, as, a, as a nation. I'm merely suggesting that we need to look at the fact that, and, and this was way the Mayans were in Mexico way before there was Mexico, uh, Guatemala, and a place called Belize. So how can you still argue? that the Mayas were not indigenous to that area. The Europeans only came when Columbus came in after 1492, and they only started exploring down this area maybe like around the 16th century. So they're babies compared to, 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 to the people who've been there a long, long time. So as Belizeans, we need to unite beside, behind the Mayas. Hear what Wilma Mejia said. They collected over $2 billion in revenues. $2 billion. That's with a B, capital B, from oil fields in, 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 in um, 
in the Spanish Lagoon Airbnb, and I've seen those old trucks, those old tankers going to one big creek. Hundreds of them passing, breaking up the road, and nothing to show for it. That's what this truck is all about. It's about the fossil fuel that's in that country in the billions of dollars. The struggle at the end of the day is, is boiling down to oil. America's thirst for it and the multinational thirst for it and, and those who stand to benefit from it at the expense of all peoples who are there. Not just the indigenous people, the Maya and the Garfinas, all Belizeans tend to lose. They were already lost. We already lost out on Spanish lookout. Because you go on the Western Highway, it's one of the worst highways that, that there, that, that, that's ever been, that's, that's there. Getting still. This is the same highway that all tankers go on their way to, 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 to the port. We already lost out in Spanish Lookout. We should be thanking the Mayas like Greg Chuck, Wilma He and others who are saying to us, wake up Belizeans and let's not lose out anymore on, on what's our national right to, 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 to get some resources back that God bless us with in our country so we can ha- stop having the condition of poverty in paradise. And so I am not going to belabor the point anymore about the Mayas not being indigenous to the area. And I'm not going to argue with anybody anymore on Facebook who keep on suggesting that Maya culture or Maya civilization began in when they, after the, just when they made contact with the Europeans. If you buy into that myth, if you buy into that fallacy, if you buy into that, that, that flawed assumption, then it tells me that you're not doing your homework. It tells me that you're not looking beyond what you need to be looking at to study the history of that area. If you're buying into the myth that the, or the caste war and Belize and Myers are not indigenous to Belize, then you really, really have a serious, serious psychological problem or you are deliberately trying to, to deceive or you're, or you're practicing willful ignorance. You know, so that's basically my, my take on, on that thing there. And, you know, I, um, I, I felt that, you know, I, I wish Will could have um, stayed longer, but, you know, he had to go. So I felt that I'm going to do just a monologue, you know, for the rest for the next half hour in the show, and um, I'm going to invite anyone who wants to uh, listen, BTR listener, that's the uh, Skype address, BTR listener zero zero two five, BTR listener zero two five, that's the Skype address if you want to plug in, and if you want to call in, and you have a question or a comment, feel free to do so. 714-242-6119. If you have a comment, you want to ask a question or just make a statement or you want to have a discourse with me, here's your opportunity. 714-242-6119. Anyone that feels they want to comment on what was discussed today or anything as it relates to the, to the, the development of this country, here's your opportunity to do so. 714 242 Seven one one nine, and if you can't do it by phone, you could also do it by Skype. In your site, in your Skype directory, you can search BTR Listener zero two five, and then you just do it as a not as a video, but you do it as a as a regular voice call. And that's a BTR Listener zero two five. That's the Skype address. You search in your Skype directory, and you can have access to the show. So the lines are open seven one four two four two six. One one nine. In the meantime, you know, um, 
it, I think what it is, though, for us to really appreciate the extent and significance of both Maya and Garifuna, you know, in 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 the contact period, that is when the Spaniards, you know, when the Spanish came or other Europeans came. You know, we must first liberate our minds from the artificial frontiers that were created and from the partial histories that so far have been available to us. At that time, there was no Belize, remember that? No Guatemala, no Mexico. Before the Europeans came, most of the Spanish. So there were various indigenous societies already, I'm sorry, already that were that were in Belize. And this is a fact. You know, they, and these societies had their, these societies and um, civilizations had their distinct social, social, social political system. And many of them shared common features and had contact with each other through, through trade and war. There also was this, a lively exchange of knowledge as well as goods between them. You know, the Mayas were influenced and probably were influenced by other indigenous peoples as well, especially those up to the north, up to, all the way up to central Mexico. So, I mean, you know, you know, I mean, and what what I find instructive was the guerrilla war in, in Guatemala, which, like I said, last well into the 23rd century. And, the, again, the Maya uprising in Chiapas in, around in 1994, it speaks volume over the persuasion of these people to foreign, to foreign rule. And what I find interesting, again, is all previous texts in Belize, on Belizean history have tended to deny or downplay the existence or extent of both the Maya and Garifuna presence in Belize before the British came in and in subsequent years. So, you know, these are just things that we need to, we need to be aware of as a people and, you know, recognize that the Maya people were not something that, um, you know, not some little entity that just came in today or just came into existence, you know, you know, because B&E, um, because B&E is, um, you know, trying to fight them for, uh, not B&E, but U.S. capital is trying to take away, you know, extract all that oil. And you mark my words, like Will said, the oil platform. The next time I go down there, Belize, Will will take me down there so I could see these things for myself. Because I, I haven't seen the extent. I've been to the Timash National Reserve, but I've only been on the periphery. But I need to get in there with Greg Chuck and those alcoholics and find out exactly what's going on down there in down south. And the fact that a platform, you saw a, you, there was a movie called Mosquito Coast with Harrison Ford that came out a couple of years back. And, it's, and essentially the movie was talking about the environmental disaster that happened in the rainforest. You know what? This is a disaster we need to have because you cannot extract oil without having a fallout. The very nature of the extraction of oil creates uh, environmental hazards. And so I'll be curious to see how they're going to extract these billions of oil uh, Billions and billions of oil down in southern Belize without messing up that rainforest. And right there by that river, that Timash River, that these people use to um, to get their livelihood. That's what's going to happen. You know, um, um, mark my words. Mark my words. It's not going to be a situation where we can just go and, and, and just get it out all pristine, surgically remove it without any environmental, environmental law. Uh, contact and what what I find interesting is that in Belize is that we have a situation where where our leaders out of again out of by ignorance or clueless just are obvious 
to these things. It's not like they're not aware of the situation. It's not like they're not aware of what's happening in this country. It's not like they're not aware of what they should be doing for their people. You know, today, my good friend, Bert Tucker, was, you know, his funeral was today, and he had been, you, 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 was today as well. Yeah, I'm having trouble with that word. Eulogize. And here was a brother who, who saw, you know, as a young brother, I always, when I spoke with him, he always saw and taught me to, you know, to look at my worldview from a, with a jaundiced eye. I always question it. I always look at it from a standpoint where you're questioning and you want to understand what's going on. That was Bert Tucker's legacy to, to post-hearted generations, believing like myself. Then he never, ever discouraged you. When I met him in 84, back in the well, around 86, 87, give or take in Los Angeles, he was never a brother who discouraged you from doing that. And he always wanted me to look at everything with a genius view, Every, look at it. You know, he influenced my worldview, and I'm privileged to say that. I'm one of the few Belizeans who can say I had people like Evan X. Hyde, Nur Muhammad, Ismail Shabazz, um, who can, Edgar Richardson, powerful brothers who influenced my worldview, who had a profound influence on the way I view it, on the way, on the way I think right now, on the way I see the world. So, I mean, if, again, if you want to call in, um, the number is 714-242-6119. I always wanted to do a show where, um, and this happened to be where I can monologue for a while and then, you know, interact with the audience. And today I had that opportunity because we only came on for an hour, and now I am here. Um, um, so if anybody who uh, wants to call in, again, 714 242 Seven one one nine. Okay, uh, I have a call on the line. Who else is calling? Uh, greetings. This is Nuri Akbar. Oh, good, uh, good, good, good day, my brother. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I've been listening to you mm-hmm. and listening to your guests that you had earlier. Yeah, Wilma here. You know, brother, uh, there is uh, some basic things that is happening with Belize that I think needs to be re-emphasized repeatedly, since we know that our people have a short attention span. The divide and conquer principle is in place. The whole idea why this land issue has been splintered And now we are hearing rumbles of different groups looking at it from a different angle. And there is some growing tensions among the various people who are facing a common foe is a part of the strategy. And I believe that in 2014, it would be extremely tragic if we were to fall prey to this same game that has been played repeatedly all over the developing world. You follow? Mm-hmm. Indeed. 
So I said from the inception that the issue of land in Belize has to be placed in a national framework. Land is everybody's concern in Belize. It's a national issue. But it has been fragmented. Therefore, we have people who are dealing with land issues in, in Belize, in the Belize uh, urban area, the, the group from Belmopan, uh, we have the, our Mayan brothers and sisters. We have our Garifuna brothers and sisters. But these different efforts are not synchronizing. And I heard the show you did a few weeks ago when you had... Greg Chuck. And, uh, yeah. Yes, the brother Chuck on your show. And he articulated a clear understanding of the need for this issue to be linked and to be viewed and to be tied in the urban struggle, in the rural struggle, and in the national context of our struggle for land reform in Belize. Mm -hmm. He articulated that clear yeah, understanding did. that. Yeah, you were clear on that. But he also expressed that his group does not have, at least this is what I understand him to be saying, does not have the, the resource to be able to, to have that kind of networking. Yes, he, he did say that. He, in, he hinted that he himself, as an individual spokesperson, is, um, is overworked mm -hmm. and cannot be in all these different places all the time. So I, I understand what he's dealing with, the struggle that he's dealing with. But those of us who sympathize and understand what is going on we need to begin to create or help to create that type of linkage in making this land issue a national issue. If we leave it to our Mayan brothers alone, it is not going to be successful in the long term. If we leave it to our Garifuna brothers alone, it is not going to be successful in the long term. If we leave it to our brothers and sisters in the urban areas, it is not going to be successful in the long term. Mm -hmm. It has to be a national issue. And it cannot be said one or two times. It has to be repeated. It has to be repeated over and over and over again. And there has to be practical steps taken to make these linkage. U.S. Capitol... And the political directorates, they understand that when a people is fragmented, they are weak. All these oil entities, they have done this all over the world. You did your research, you know they have done this in Latin America. Mm -hmm. You know they have done this in Africa. You know they are doing this as we speak in other parts of the developing world. So it has to be framed in a national issue. Otherwise, we will be defeated. And we cannot afford to be defeated. The people who are the political directorates, some of them are doing this out of sheer ignorance. Some of them are doing it out of arrogance. 
Some of them are doing it out of greed. Some of them are doing it out of sheer selfishness with no regard for the national concerns. Mm -hmm. The window of opportunity for us is closing rapidly. Some have said that we are, Belize has already lost. Others have said we, we, have, we have perhaps maybe close to 10 years that something decisively has to be done to change the course that this country has been going and is going. So I admire what Brother Will is doing I admire what the Mayan brothers and sisters are doing. I admire what Brother Parko and all of them is doing. But there has to be a point where we can come to some common ground and form a national united front to save the country of Belize. We are not going to agree on every single item. But mm -hmm. we need to identify a five or ten point national issue that we can all rally around and unite around and use that as the framework for operational unity where we can begin to form a national front of patriots to reclaim the sovereignty of our country and for the preservation for future generations. That's what has to be done. And that is my message to all of these brothers and sisters who are activists, who are, who are struggling out there, but they are struggling as individuals in some cases. They are struggling as separate entities in other cases. And that is not going to get the job done. There has to be a united front. As I said before, we are not going to agree on all the details. What we need to identify is a 10-point national critical issues that can form the basis for us coming together and creating operational unity. So I just wanted to share that with you since you decided to open up the phone lines this morning. Well, let me ask you, since I have you on the line, um, you know, we, you know, I've always maintained that our history as a nation has a lot to do with our attitude, and you know, our colonial past, which has molded us into this fragmented, disjointed group of people who do not recognize that, um, that, um, you know, the, the idea that 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 there's more than just what you're saying. But I want to know what do you think is the real issue as far as. This this, this this unity with Belizean. What's one of the driving force behind that you think? We are still operating in a settlement mentality. We never evolved from a settlement mentality into a nation. We gained political independence, but we never became one people. You follow? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So attaining political independence is one thing. Laying the foundation to create a national vision for national unity is another. 
this does not mean that you will not have different various groups inside the society. You will. But there has to be some national issues that you and I can identify as quintessential Belizean concerns that unite us. That has not been done. Many of us still don't even know the national anthem. Many of us still does not know our country, the geography of our country. Many of us still do not interact with each other. Yeah. And these are things that is not mysteries. We have many examples of how this can be done. So it's not mystery. Our educational system, our educational paradigm, has continued to perpetuate the same old system that was given to us from our colonial masters. There has been no major deviation from, from the basic principles of that. And the religious, the religious institutions in Belize has played a major part of perpetuating that. A major part. So this is not mystery in terms of creating national unity and having a national character that we can define as being a Belizean. And that, yeah. has to be articul- that has to be articulated. That has to be articulated. It has to be clairvoyant. I want you to touch on something that, you know, a brother who, you know, who meant a lot to you and I uh, when we were, you know, you know in, 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 as far as our worldview. Brother Bert Tucker, he was buried this morning Unfortunately, I didn't get an opportunity to stay in Belize to uh, go to the funeral today. Uh, you know, I, I waited and I waited, but he, um, he was, you know, he was eulogized this morning at St. John's Cathedral. And um, I want you to just just explain to your audience uh, what you believe his impact was on our political discourse in the country, concentrating around some of the things that we're talking about here. Uh, Brother Bert Tucker spent many years abroad working in some of the most challenging environments the Caribbean in, in, and in Africa. He decided to return home and spent several years giving his expertise in trying to create a framework for Uh, self-development, cooperative approach to solving problems that would lead to economic independence. As brilliant as Brother Bert Tucker was, he also had to struggle with the neo-colonialistic structures and mentality that we have in Belize. He had to go up against many type of impediments that was erected in his path. 
But Abert Tucker was not a politician. He was a patriot, he was a nationalist, and he was an internationalist. He was not confined to political affiliation. He wanted to participate in the best way he can and make a contribution to the overall development of belief. So you mm. can't pigeonhole him. You can't put him in that category. Bertoka was way too big to trivialize this man in that context. So he struggled to get some of his ideas to take root in the context of Belize because he was dealing with people, some of his own contemporaries, who are completely looking at our development in the opposite direction. And he laid out for those of us who are the younger generation some of the things that we will have to do if there, if there ever has to be a paradigm shift in our national development, some of the things that will have to be done. The continuing nibbling around the edges of what our problems are is not going to work today. That has already played itself out. Brother Bert Tucker saw that decades ago and he have articulated that. The Belizean people, the ordinary man and woman, has to become engaged in the process of development beyond this whole system of voting every five years. They have to become a participant in deciding the development and what type of development they will have in their various local communities. They will have to take an active role in shaping and guiding policy decisions and they will have to become an active part in our democracy. You have articulated in your own writings what kind of system we have in belief. Mm -hmm. A system where, where, where we vote and then everybody goes and sit back and we wait for five years for, for the people to do what they do. That, that, that's, not, that's not a functional democracy. We know that something is seriously wrong. And this is what Brother Bert Tucker has articulated, and this has been manifested in the type of work that he championed. Grassroots community ownership, collective ownership, people working together to resolve problems. And getting away from this individualistic approach to things that tear us apart and keep us from formulating any type of national consensus. So that's what he represented. But he also had to struggle with the type of mentality that we have in belief. As brilliant and as successful as he was working in the international global stage, he had to come back home, the place of his birth, and struggle to get some of his ideas off the ground. And one can say he was partially successful. 
for me, I believe his greatest contribution is the mentorship that he gave to the younger people who mm-hmm. can take those ideas and carry them on. No question me, about that. To me, that was his greatest contribution. You know, I think as a member of the post generation, I think I feel privileged that we were able to listen I mean, when I said listen, to be at the footstool, listening to these brothers like Evanix High, Bert Tucker, Ishmaelo Shabazz, these are giants in our, you know, in, 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 as part of my worldview, you know, speaking for myself, you know, in shaping the way I look at the world today, you know, based on the ideas and the, and the philosophy that these brothers stood for. Because, you know, we find it instructive that Belize has endured, uh, Garvey movement with Samuel Haynes who, who did the uh, national anthem and Sylvan Young who put uh, who put uh, music to it. Uh, we went through a uh, U-Bad um, movement, you know, all for black consciousness and black liberation. And still, we still, for the most part, our people, uh, uh, the blacks are very very much marginalized in our country. And you know, they didn't elect someone who uh, I'm talking about Colin. I'm not talking about philosophy or ideology. Of you know with with with, with dark skin color until two thousand eight. So and this, go on, go ahead. That speaks volumes of us as a people. Yes, I, this goes back again to the fact that what you feed into your people is what you get out. colonialistic education and I like to quote uh, President Julius Nereri the former president of Tanzania when he made that famous comment that education can be liberating or it can be oppressive what kind of education have we been disseminating to our people over the last quarter century Mm -hmm. I would dare say that the results are staring us glaringly. Look at the condition of our society today. Our people are divorced from the land. We are not cultivating our land to attain self-sufficiency. And that is by design. That's not accidental. There has not been any fundamental shift in agrarian land reform in Belize. Yes, I have heard Mr. Silver talk about certain land policies that they attempted to do during his tenure. But they were not significant to make any major shift. It was, not a, radic- it was not mm. a radical departure. It was a tiny step in the right direction. So when you look at our condition, it's a reflection of what we have been feeding our people through education. They are a reflection of that. Mm -hmm. And that has not changed. And it will not change 
until there is a paradigm shift. A group of Belizean people will have to emerge that will be totally committed to the sovereignty of that country and be true patriots with vision that is incorruptible and is willing to take the bull by its horn. That's what has to be done. And that's why I say to you in closing that all the various activists in Belize who are off into their little corner doing their thing, I can say to you that today that's not going to work. Not with the kind of adversaries that we are facing. There must be a united front meaning we will have to identify a 10-point plan of issues that we can agree on. Not and could you that shut my should brother. become the basis of our unity. Okay, we are up, we, 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 we're up for time. And I, I wish you had calling from, uh, you know, because we could have you know, had this discussion. But time is upon us. I want to thank everybody who listened on I want to thank you, brother, for calling in. What a New York bar who was with me for the past half an hour, articulating some very important points. I don't mean to cut him off, but time is on us. So I want to thank uh, Wilma here for coming in, and I want to tell everyone have a happy Saturday and do the right thing. Good day.